Hi, legends. Today, I catch up with founding club member Jason Robertson, co-founder and CEO of Future Advisory. If you thought accounting was boring, today's episode will change your mind. Jason has rapidly grown his firm to a team of 30 in just a couple years. He won the Zero Accounting of the Year Award 2018 and 2022, and is the host of a fantastic podcast, The Numbers Game. This episode is all about leadership and how to create a high-performing team and culture, and how to grow and how to grow fast. Jason shares the lessons and the mistakes he made on that journey, and let me tell you, they're great to know. Hope you enjoy the show. We have not caught up in a very, very long time. It's been a while, Daniel. It's nice to see you. And it's nice to see you too. And, and you've got your own podcast now. You're fucking copying me. Yeah, mate. We are Nick Riley and I, who's another Cub member. We saw you uh, kicking goals with the uh, Cub podcast. So we thought, well, we'll start our own. So the Numbers Game podcast is about to get episode 100 dropped in the next few weeks. So we're pretty excited. I think on like the 57th episode, I might have mentioned, oh, I can't wait for episode 100. And Nick and Marty were like, dude. We've got a long way to go, so it's nice that it's uh, finally uh, coming along. I think I was yeah starting to crow a little bit too early, but yeah, it's been fun. I do enjoy it. What made you got? What made you guys actually start a podcast? Very good question. I think I I've got some podcast clients that were producing podcasts, and they were doing. It was called the Daily Talk Show at the time, and they were on track to do their one thousandth episode, and that had like Hamish and Andy, Ryan Shelton, Hugh Van Kylenberg, all these like kind of pretty well-known people on their podcast, but it was relatively not un- unknown, but it was just, it was actually quite well-known. Um, and to drop a thousand episodes was epic. So I think working with them as their accountant and advisor, I turned around and was like, geez, this, this is pretty cool. And I ended up doing an episode with them during lockdown. Um, I was in Raymond Island, got to kind of tune in remotely and do an episode talking about, you know, tax and advice and, you know, all of the lockdown stuff with government grants and, I think, I reckon I said something to Nick about it. Like, was he interested in doing one for Innovate? And what if we got together and rather than having Innovate's podcast or Future Advisory's podcast, we created a unique brand that was open for any audience to listen to. So that's when the Numbers Game podcast was born. And, you know, I mean, look, it's three blokes, a financial planner, a mortgage broker, and an accountant. So generally you'd think it'd be pretty boring and pretty dry topics. (laughs) But I think, um, you know, you know Nick as well and – something that we try and do is try and bring it back down to a relatable level where it's, it's actually enjoyable content. And mate, we have a blast. I reckon I laugh my ass off so much during those uh, episode recordings. And, um, I think we've had 30 or 40,000 downloads over the last um, year or two. So somebody out there is consuming our content. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, uh, like a lot of people say to me, obviously, because we got the show, um, oh, you know, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Everyone wants a podcast, including us. Mm, (laughs) But what was, I I guess, a big question for, like, the reason I did the podcast, a lot of people say, do you make money from the podcast? And we definitely could. We could sell sponsorships. Mm. Um, We don't because uh, we had a very clear purpose as to why we were doing the podcast. And the first first purpose, and this is what I suggest people think about when they, you know, when they think they want to do a podcast – the f- our first purpose was to um, deliver value to people that are not members. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, like when COVID was happening, we we're like, okay, the world's ending and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we sh- how can we share the stories and what our members are doing through this to other business owners yep. who who aren't members of Cub? And then the second purpose was just it's great social proof for Cub. 
Yep. We literally just talk to a bunch of really accomplished, smart people all the time. And if you were thinking about Cub, you could literally just go to the podcast list and it's a hit list of the who's yeah. who in, 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 in the up and coming business world. You know? so, so it's a very clear purpose. What was yeah. your purpose in, think, in starting the show? What Mate, did you want to achieve? Love, love anything that mentions purpose, right? You've got to know what you're doing and why you set out to. And if it's going to be successful, purpose is like the number one ingredient that you've got to sprinkle into something. So for us, it was definitely about sharing value and sharing content that was valuable to an audience that we may not have been actually reaching. So I've got a certain number of hours in the day where I can advise my clients and help them get ahead in life. Nick and Marty have a certain number of hours in a day and we can only get in front of X amount of people per day or per week. And what we're finding though is that there were so many business owners or individuals out there who weren't getting access to good advice because they felt like it wasn't affordable or, you know, they couldn't work with a certain advisor because they didn't have enough money. So the podcast was a way of reaching an audience just to go, hey, we're here, we're going to give you insane amount of value that's going to help you have a better life or a better future and you don't have to pay a cent for it. And we're actually investing our money and time into producing this content. And yes, there's there's a long game, right? Like our long game is that Nick, Jason, Marty, we get referrals from our podcast, we win new business, but that was never the number one purpose. The number one purpose came from sharing value to help people have a better life. And that for us is, you know, we're driven people that that feel like if we can fulfill our purpose of, you know, helping people do better investment decisions or run better businesses, the flow on effect is that so many people are touched in a better way by that. And we have a better economy and a better Australia for everyone else in it. Yeah. I like what you said. You, you are putting in time, like a podcast does obviously take time. And yeah, I know firsthand, but you're actually saving time mm. because you, you're, you're, you're giving one hour of your time, let's say to record the podcast you know, your personal time, forgetting that we don't edit and stuff like yep. that. There's all the editing and stuff. But, but in terms of us, yep. there's an hour of recording time. If I was to give that hour to a client, okay, I've benefited one person an hour. Yep. But with a podcast, you can benefit thousands of people yep. um, it, with that same one hour. So you actually save time in terms of mm. providing value to others. It's definitely something at the time I didn't really grasp or fully understand. But with a back catalogue of nearly 100 episodes, when somebody comes along and says, geez, Jace, I'd really love to meet with you and talk about business structures – it's like, cool, yep, sweet, we can do a business structure advice. It might be $500 an hour for, for some advice meetings or whatever it's going to be, depending on who's in the room. Or I've actually recorded an episode on this. Go away and listen to that episode first. And then if you still need the meeting, we can do tailored advice that is more meaningful because you've got a deeper understanding before we get in the meeting. So I think having that, like, you know, and even for my team, like, Epic. We've got a team of 28. Um, you know, it kind of fluctuates. We got to 30, 31, then pulled a few back depending on, you know, our needs at the time. Um, but even for the the team members, especially the new grads, when they listen to the episodes and they come in and they start asking me questions, I go, hang on a minute. This sounds familiar. Why are you asking that question? Oh, well, I was listening to the episode of the podcast and you said this. So my team even have a much deeper understanding about why I exist and why we do what we do, you know, beyond what I can communicate with them just day to day in the office. So yeah, it's been, you know, there's multiple things that have happened as a result of the podcast that I didn't anticipate. So yeah. How much do you love when someone tells you they listen to the show though? I always love, they're my favorite people in the world when they yeah. come up to me, they hey, listen to the podcast. And even like when, uh, so w w most, most new hires at Cub, I get to meet them on their third interview. 
Um, and when they say, oh, you know, I listened to this episode and this episode and it was great. I love what you're doing with this. I'm like, oh, just hire them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're smart enough to listen to the show. So they should be right. But, but it's just, it's always such a nice flattering thing. And I think, and we spoke about this actually. I can't remember if it was me and you or me and Nick, but I think it was me and you. We spoke about this when you guys asked me when you were starting the show. I had, I had reset, I'd started mine not long yep. before that. Uh, ours not long for, before that. Um, and and I forgot what I was going to say. And um, I'll get back to it. No, it'll come back. Yeah, well, you'd be surprised how often that happens on this show. <laughs> but speaking of your team, that's a lot bigger than last time we spoke. Yeah, Wait, we so, start of start of the pandemic when we we had a business um, split out of a bigger firm. So Greg Shelley and I were with a firm called RBK. Great firm, great people, doing great things. Uh, that we were the 20, we'd grown fast in like two and a bit years. We'd become the zero accounting advisor of the year back in 2018. Um, but then during the COVID pandemic, different change of directions, Greg Shelley and I split out and made future advisory about two and a half years ago. And when we split, we're a team of 11, um, kind of had that opportunity to rebuild from scratch, rebuild a brand, rebuild a culture with our existing team of 11. Um, and then during COVID, obviously we, we know what COVID was like and, you know, we try not to kind of mention it too much. We get little shivers down the back of our spine, but it was a time obviously when so many business owners needed access to a good accountant who could help them at the time, whether it was JobKeeper or Cash Boost or whatever they needed. And our phone and emails and online forms went off the hook because so many accounting firms weren't prepared for working remotely or working in the cloud. There was a lot of old older school old school accounting firms that still had desktop servers and still had to go to an office to work. So when they got told, you can't go to the office anymore, their clients are reaching out to them trying to get help. They couldn't get help. So they turned to someone like us who was cloud savvy, tech focused. And so we exploded. And I think between the September of 2020 and probably December of 21, we went from 11 to the 28. Um, so it was hiring a person every couple of weeks. And even I was talking with uh, someone about it the other day, just kind of having a laugh going. I remember dropping off like three laptops, like to complete, well, they were strangers. They were people that we'd basically met on a Zoom interview and gone, you know what, we're going to hire you and we're going to, this is going to be awesome. But I was driving to like Heidelberg with a laptop and a headset and some chargers going, here you go, mate. Nice to meet you. Going, oh, should I come in for a cuppa? Like, oh, right. No worries. Like, oh no, no, actually COVID rules can't do that. Oh, in you come. Don't worry. Don't tell anyone. You know, so I'm dropping off laptops there. Then I was like in Essendon dropping off a laptop to someone. And it was this bizarre, like, man, we're doing this. Like we're, we're, we're growing, we're humming along. But the motivation was the more team members that I could get hold of who could become part of the future journey, the more business owners we could help to get through what was a really shitty time. So yeah, fast growth, would I recommend it to most of my clients to grow at that speed and um, kind of put the cost pressures and the stress on the system? Probably not, but we learned a lot about ourselves in that time. And you know, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing where we are, who we are today because of the journey and the experience we've gone through. And the business. So you mentioned that, um, so when you joined Cub, which was six years ago, I think you were close to member number one in Melbourne, were you not? Yeah. yeah. I, like to, I like to brag about being in the top 50, but I'll take number one. <laughs> we're the, the founding members of you Melbourne. You've got to be up there, but, but uh, you were at uh, RBK at that time. Yeah. Yep. Now, what did... Yeah, and w what was before RPK? I can't remember. Uh, I was working for another boutique firm in the city. Greg, Greg and I, when we originally formed, we were called 
with the R and B group, Robinson and Bramich. And then when we told people with the R and B group, they were like, What are you guys, rappers or something? Like you you into music? We're like, no, we're accountants. They're like, why are you the R&B group? It's like, okay, cool. We've got to rethink our branding and rethink our marketing because it's not working. So then we, I sat down with someone. They're like, well, what do you do? We're like, oh, we do tax. And this is, you know, way before our brains thought more about advisory and virtual CFO and, you know, you know, doing cooler stuff like that. I went, oh, well, we'll be RB tax. So we were RB tax originally. And then when the K joined forces with us, we just went RBK advisory because then our brains were going Tax is one element of what we do. You know, you're going to add all these different elements to it. So advisory covers the whole scope of, you know, whether it's mortgage broking, financial planning, accounting, bookkeeping, you know, all that stuff. So, But the process of getting to becoming a business owner, was that always something in your mind or did you, uh, were you working in, at an accounting firm and were like, well, this sucks, I could do this better? Yeah, a bit of a combo. Um, look, the becoming a business owner thing, I never wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> like, at, like, it seems crazy to say it, but I'd almost like rebelled against the idea of becoming an accountant. But in year 12, the business, like, um, what do you like the interview guy who goes, what do you want to be when you're older? The careers counselor. There you go. He sat me down and went, what do you want to be when you're older? And I was like, man, I don't know. Like, I barely know what I want to do tomorrow. Like, I just want to go out on the weekend and get pissed. Like, you know, I was fortunately very gifted with school and study that my grades were insane and, you know, all good. I could do the silly stuff on the weekend and rock up and pass any test or exam that was put in front of me. I was one of those annoying people. And I said, no idea. So he looked at my results. He went, well, in year 11, you topped year 12 business management. So he's like, you were the best in the school. I said, cool. And he goes, and you're killing it at math. And you've also picked up year 12 accounting without doing year 11 accounting. And you're crushing that. He's like, you should go to uni and study business and major in accounting. I was like, cool, done. If it gets me out of this room, I'm, 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 I'm agreeing. <laughs> like sign me up to all of those things, I'll do it. Then anyway, the process of a couple of years through uni, I'd basically worked full time. Um, I was at Macca's with my business partner, Greg. We both worked at Macca's together. So it'd be work all week at Macca's, party all weekend, and then sometimes weeknights as well. And then getting towards the end of the degree, Greg had already started working in an accounting firm. And he's like, man, I'm going to get you a job. And I'm like, nah, dude, I, I don't know if I've told this before. I don't, I'm not interested. I don't want a job as an accountant. He goes, nah, mate, like I've got you the job. You've got an interview on, you know, next Monday, next Wednesday, you've got to rock up and do it or you're letting me down. And like, I think I'd said, I'm going to be a police officer or something stupid at the time. And all my friends around me fortunately gave me the big slap across the face and said, mate, you've done all these years of uni. You've got to at least have a crack at what you've studied. And I was like, oh. so... Went to the job interview thinking this is going to be so like lame and boring. And the three blokes that ran the firm, Insight Accounting, out in Beaconsfield, I think we had the interview at Cranbourne because we grew up in the southeast corridor of Melbourne, kind of big Berwick, Cranbourne, Pakenham, Endeavour Hills. And the interview was, do you like football? It's like, yeah, yeah, I like football. I'll go for the Bombers. They're like, cool. Well, we don't really like the Bombers because we're Collingwood and Geelong, whatever. So we had a bit of a laugh. Then it was like, do you like horse racing? I said, yeah, I go to the horse racing like most weekends. They're like, cool, cool. Do you drink beer? I said, yeah, <laughs> I drink a beer. They're like, sweet. Well, you start next week. And like not a single part of the interview was about doing accounting or, you know, basses and tax returns. But right at the very end, they go, cool. When you start next week, we're going to get you doing basses. And I remember like, shit, I hope they don't ask me what a bass is. Like they do not cover that at university. I like remember at that point, like it had gone so well. And then I started freaking out going, shit, if they ask me what a bass is, I'm, I'm a fraud. Like I'm, I'm not meant to be here. Walk out the door. I remember calling Greg going, mate, 
why don't you tell me what the fuck a bus was before this interview? Like I'm, I could have looked like an idiot. He goes, man, that's just reporting GST to the ATO. I said, yeah, how am I meant to know that? Like what's going So that journey of then falling into accounting, it became about culture and people and relationships rather than the actual doing of the tax return or the bus. So I was surrounded by good people and the clients were cool and chilled too. They were tradies, they were farmers. They were easy for me to kind of build that confidence of how to talk to people and, and just how to kind of form a relationship really quickly. So then going on, it's a long-winded story of how kind of it came about of starting a business, but I ended up meeting a guy at a BMT function where Bradley Beer, the founder of BMT, puts on like these drinks and cocktail nights. And I met a guy. And again, like being young, being charismatic and kind of, you know, being able to talk in a room and have a conversation, this guy came over to me and goes, I really like what you're about. Like you're, you're going to go places. Like you're going to do something in this industry. And I went, what are you talking about? Like I was mid to early, early to mid twenties. He's like, no, nah, I've got to take you to Bali. There's this accounting conference coming up and you've got to come to Bali so you can see what it's all about, what you're going to be working towards. And I was like, okay, what's the catch? He goes, cool. If you, he was a sales guy. And I, you know, you know, when a sales guy knows a sales guy, I'm like, <laughs> I see you. Yeah. But, and I'm like, but I appreciated his moves. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let this, I think at this stage I was working at a surf shop. So I was in sales. So, you know, it was all good. I'm like, cool. I'm going to let him play it out. And he goes, if you can get your current accounting firm to use my auditing firm, that's how you earn your trip to Bali. So I was like, man, easy. Walked into my boss's office, said, hey, man, if you do 10 audits with this guy, he's going to take me to Bali. It's like three, four grand, all expenses paid trip. And my boss was like, shit, like that's the middle of tax season. Like you can't go then. I'm like, please. He's like, oh, all right, I'll let you go. So I went off to Bali and this is where my life changed. Like the, the experience of rocking into an accounting conference run by a guy called Rob Nixon. Um, it was called Panalytics or the Proactive Accounting Network. But it was the best of the best accountants from all over Australia had flown to Bali to take time out of their firms to learn about what they had to do to continue to be on the cutting edge of advice and growth and profitability and all these things. And the speakers that presented at this conference were world-class. They were flown in from all over the world. Um, Jack Daly was one of the best presenters I've ever seen. He kind of talked about sales and he grew like a mortgage-broking business in the US with like thousands of employees. Um, another guy, Warren Rustand, he was the first hand to the president of the United States. So he was um, George Bush's right-hand man at wow. the time and or afterwards. And he talked about values and family and culture, but how that related to the business world and how the importance of values and culture ties into everything you do if you're going to have a successful business. And I remember walking out of this conference, there was many others, Alan Weiss and, you know, and I walked out of this conference and went, I was changed the, the, to my core, the way I thought, the way I saw myself, like the opportunities that I had that if I could implement even a percent of what these people were talking about, I knew I could run a successful business or at least have a crack at it. I remember getting back and I'd met a guy at the conference actually who went, you're going to come work for me. He was the drunkest man on the pl planet at the time. He'd come from a golf day. And I said, nah, mate, I love my firm. I'm, I'm loyal. I said, this is the busiest period of the year. Um, for the next three months, there's no way I would leave them. Like they're too busy. I couldn't do it to him. He goes, cool, no worries. And left it. And I was like, oh, cool. Got rid of him easy. Three months later to the day, this guy calls my phone. I don't even know how he got my number. This is another good operator. I'm still friends with him to this day. And he's the president of the CPA divisional council. And he's got the firm that I last worked at. And he calls me up at 9am and I answer the phone. He goes, you're coming in for a job interview. I was like, sorry, who's this? 
He goes, you said three months ago that the firm was too busy for the next three months. Three months is over. It's, it's time for you and I to chat. I was like, oh man, like I've got to give this guy a chance. If that's how he operates, I'm like done. So job interview done, went to work in South Melbourne at a firm called Siva. Awesome firm, awesome guy. But again, those, you know, that frustrations of when you're an employee, there's certain things that you don't get to do with decision-making or, you know, I wanted to implement certain technology. I hated the idea of a client having to drive into the city to sign a tax return. I'm like, mate, there's this new software. It's digital, digital signature software. This is like back in 2015, 2016. It was new. It was, you know, cutting edge. I'm like, let's not make clients drive into the city and find parking to sign a tax return on paper. Like, let's just move to digital. And, you know, it was slow to react and, you know, didn't kind of get implemented as fast as I would have liked. So I was frustrated. And then we used to send engagements, like we'd type into a Word document, print it to PDF, send to the client. And if they wanted to engage us, they'd call the reception to give their credit card so that we could take payment. And I'm like, man, there's this new system. It does all that automatic. You do it on, on an online form, you send to the client, it walks them through it. They sign digitally and they put their credit card details in. And they're like, nah, like the way we do it works. And yeah, so there was from frustration, still a great firm, great team, great culture, but technology then underpinned my idea of going, I need to go and do everything this firm does, but building it on tech and cloud and kind of run it that way. So but it's, yeah. it's interesting to see like what I always think is the most fundamental aspect of a business owner, entrepreneur, and perhaps outside of drive, is ownership because you really, that's what you did. You were just like, we, we, we should be doing this better. Mm. I want to do this better. They said, you can't do it better. We're doing it this way. So you said, well, okay, I'm going to own fixing this problem yep. and I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. That, 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 that trait of ownership and, and, and it problem solving as well, but it's ownership over the problems mm. and actually not just identifying them, but, but doing them. Mm. That's really what entrepreneurship is, yeah. you know? Yeah. And look, I can still appreciate now, like knowing Brent and knowing his firm and everything else, I can appreciate that when somebody comes to me now with a team of 28, like what he probably had at the time, or he might not have been as big at the time. If somebody came to me now and wanted to change one of the systems and like totally blow my world apart, I'd probably need a bit of time to process that and probably wouldn't be able to act, you know, I'd still act faster than most other business owners in my industry. Um, but now I can go, look, I've got an appreciation that it wasn't as simple as, you know, young Jace, the accountant running into the office saying, Hey, digital, digital signatures have just come out. Let's fucking do it. And him going, dude, Get out of my don't, face. don't you have tax returns and financials to do? Can you go back to your desk, mate, and just stay in your lane? So but that brings up a really interesting uh, topic because like I, I do believe in in if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm. And the only problem is if you believe that too much mm -hmm. and you never fix anything, eventually you're going to be screwed. Yeah. So the question then becomes what is the most – well, two things, I guess, because at first you have to say, well, what are the most important things that I actually need to be addressing right now? Because an operational change is a big thing to mm. address. It sounds small, okay, we're going to do this instead of this, but – the inertia period there is to train your team, to remind them to do it, to make sure they're doing it correctly, to make sure they're doing it the right way, that the operations manual's done correctly, mm -hmm. that the ops manager, it, it's a, it's a mission. Yeah. So, so yeah, I could see how a business owner might be like, okay, it's working now. Doing that is going to be a massive effort. Yeah. But if we do this, we could like hire a partnerships manager, we could generate more revenue yeah. and drive. Yeah, so 
you can see how they don't get there yeah. and how companies fail to, I'd call it a failure to modernize or, yeah. or to evolve. Well, it's um, thinking short it's, term it's an as easy well. Because you've got to go through it. that short term pain to then get on the other side of, you know, innovation and change. And change scares people. Like it's it's scary to change. And I think what we've kind of gone through over the last year or two, even at our firm, going from 11 to 28 and, you know, we implement almost every bit of tech that exists. And now we kind of look at that and go, ooh, we've probably done some of these tech implementations at our own detriment because we moved too fast and we didn't necessarily roll out the right systems and processes on the existing tech before we then added more tech thinking it would solve the problem. So we also – you know, we, we practice what we preach, but we also can admit and own when we made mistakes. And I think that's, you know, important when you have an advisor to not have them go, I'm perfect. I know everything. You've got to have some vulnerability and some rawness to be able to go, Hey, look, I actually tried this and it didn't work. We, we made a mistake, but this is how we fixed it. You know, whether, whether that's partnership breakdowns or tech implementation or hiring the wrong hire that ruins your culture and then you've got to find a way to undo it. Like there's certain things that happen in, you know, and any of these examples can happen to any business at any time. But it's very easy. And, and uh, I want to talk more about culture because you keep bringing it up and, and it's something that I think is a great strength of yours. Mm. You know, you're typical accountant. No, no. <laughs> but but, um, uh, but that's right. Hiring just one wrong person, you'd be surprised how that can impact the overall culture of an entire team. Yeah. It's, 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 it, the poison's not the right word because it's a bit rude and, and, you know, they may not be a poisonous person. They, they might be a perfectly fine person, but they, but if they don't fit, it becomes this mm. almost awkwardness, this almost yeah. like, it's like we're an organism as a team and there's a bacteria in here that's – it's hey, what, it's not supposed to be well, here. the word from poison to bacteria. Yeah, like yeah. that was a little bit nicer or better? Well, yeah, no, there's good gut bacteria. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, well, well played. Well played. But, but, but you do see that play. You, you see that mm. play out in teams. Now, yep. I've never grown – uh, at the uh, rate that you were, you know, a team member every two weeks, yep. um, um, and 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 experience what that's like in terms of how do you actually find them, how do you execute mm. the, that amount of interviews, how do you ensure that their cultural fits, how do you manage a constant flow of onboarding team members? So, I, I guess what would be the biggest challenge that you had in that amount of growth in, in growing your team that quickly? Yeah, look, all of it. I mean, look, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Definitely, look, a lot of those team members came in during COVID where we couldn't meet face-to-face. -face. And I think there's nothing better than sitting down with someone and eyeballing them over a coffee or, or whatever else to go, who are you? Tell me about yourself. You know, their body language, you know, how firm they shake your hand or anything like that. So the ones we hired over Zoom versus the ones in person, obviously there's a difference there in what we knew at the start. Then beyond that, Look, I think where where we got, I don't want to say got lucky because it was by design and we did it ourselves, we've always put out our brand and kind of talked about our culture and shown our values quite publicly. You know, when you go to our website, Future Advisory, there's rocket ships, there's aliens, it's purple and mint and yellow. Like, as you said, we're not your typical accountant. So if your typical accountant went for a job with us, I think they figure it out themselves very quickly whether they are the right person to fit our brand and our culture before they even kind of get all the way to job interview stage. The ones that make it to job interview stage are the ones that feel like, you know what, this, this, this culture and this change and this vibrance that this firm's got, I'm ready for this. 
again, whether they are or aren't is a different thing because we, we operate at a pace and speed that not a lot of accounting firms operate at from a, you know, that hustle mentality. You know, we've, we've got a lot of clients, we've got a lot of jobs to get through. Some people come from firms that are a lot more relaxed and, you know, you can take your time to get a job done. Whereas for us, I go, time is money for our clients. The longer we take to do something, the more that we've got to charge, as long as we're getting it right, there's accuracy and quality. So, you know, some people also figure out when they start, they go, geez, this, this is also not for me. It's too fast paced. Like, you know, they're adding a new, we add a, client, a team member every four weeks, which means we're adding, we're growing at $100,000 a month in new revenue, organic growth. So even onboarding all of that, like our admin team work at a pace beyond anything I've seen. And we had a new team member start who pulled me aside. He goes, man, your admin team are incredible. They are the most epic team I've ever seen at an accounting firm. He'd been around for 20, 20 plus years in the industry, had had his own firm at one stage. He goes, never seen anything like it. The way they answer the phone, the speed they reply to emails, the way they onboard clients and send a welcome email, the way they collect data and file it all properly. Like he's like, whatever you've done to get that to happen is insane. But how do you create a high performing culture? Because that's what every business owner wants. And I mean, you're obviously um, uh, young and ambitious and, and inspiring and, and, and you, you know, you fit the bill in terms of attracting others who, who, who want to achieve something mm. great in life, want to be part of something special. But how do you create that high performing culture? I think a lot of it is definitely top down as well. Like if you've got the business owner or the senior leadership team and they're not performing, how can you expect the rest of the team to perform? And not, not necessarily a hierarchical thing, but the, the younger junior team members, the grads, the intermediates, the admin, anyone in the team who looks up the, the kind of hierarchy to go, well, what are my bosses doing? Or, you know, are they working hard? And I think, you know, we've, we've had this culture of, you know, but also I think that's the other thing I'd to touch on. I don't want people working after hours. Like I don't want this culture where people have to do 12 hours in a day to get their job done. But what I do want is if you're at work between, let's say you're doing a nine to five, you are smashing it. Like you're coming in with energy and ready to roll and break down walls to get good results for your the firm you work for and the business you're trying to help. And I think it's those values, that culture, and we talk about it. Like if you don't talk about it and share things with your team about your expectations and your desires and the vision of where you want to get the firm to, you can't expect people to buy into the vision and then be part of the culture if they don't know where they're going. I, I, I like what you said about uh, the top down. Like you know, people in a people in a company, they well people in general look up mm. to, to, to others. You, you always need to. Everybody does. It doesn't matter who you are. You look up to somebody. And when you join a company, you look up to the mm. people that are successful within that company. And those people are going to attract who stays, who comes ideally, but who stays. So if your company is the laid back, do the bare minimum, which I'm, I'm saying that as if it's a negative – it's really not because once you build a huge company, mm. you know, they just don't want to break it. Yeah. They just want to keep it. So, you know, just do exactly what you're supposed to do. Don't break anything. It does, so so it's not to say that that's bad, but but if if the leadership team of a company is like that, um, well, then people like me being, you know, young Daniel yeah. and Jace going to rock up to the company, so excited to, you know, smash it and work. And we're going to see a bunch of lazy people at the top be like, okay, well, this is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm the opposite, okay, man, I like this place. I can yeah, I can work from right. home, you know, yeah. do whatever I want. But 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 when you go into a company and you see, wow, the boss is an animal. 
this mother, this guy, this girl is a monster. Yeah. She, I know that by sticking here, I'm going to be going somewhere good. Yeah. And I'm willing to, to, to work like they work or, or to, to, to at least be inspired yep. uh, by what they're doing. I think that is so important. I think that is, that, that's what every company, it, the leadership do dictate a lot mm. of the culture and the I work agree. ethic. I think that's where we've tried to be careful about the selection of our senior leadership team too, like how they fit into the culture and the vision and, and are they on board? And, you know, I definitely think that the senior people we've now got in our team and the way that where they've landed over the last year, it took some settling. When you go from 11 to 28, that's when culture gets diluted a little bit because you gr you've grown fast, right? And I know other companies have done crazy numbers in that and I have huge respect for anyone who can grow at that pace and beyond. It's it's definitely not easy. It must be an art. It must oh, be an art. Like yeah, the, the, someone has to be an expert in doing that because yeah, there time. are companies, there's not a lot, but there's companies who do it. Yeah, I'd love to talk to them. Be, yeah, fascinating. But yeah, so that... When culture got diluted, I think that was when, you know, behind closed doors, you know, Greg Shelley and I would sit there and go, oh, something feels a bit bit different. Something feels a bit off. Like we need to keep our finger on the pulse here to make sure. And that's when you do have to look at, is there someone in the business who is causing frustrations in amongst the rest of your team members? And I think what we've done really well, or I hope we have, and, you know, always open to feedback is ask for feedback. You know, we've made it known that all of our team members can approach Greg Shelley I at any time to talk. If they think something might be wrong, if they're frustrated or concerned, if a certain team member said or did something that made them feel uncomfortable and they don't want to approach it themselves, they come to us and talk. And I think that having that openness and that communication with our team allows us to, you know, really be part of ensuring that it stays really good quality amongst all the team members and, and even our clients. If, if a client cracks the shits with one of our team, you know, we assess and go, oh, were they frustrated? Did we deserve that? How can we improve that? But if it's just genuinely someone's been an asshole to one of our team, I remember we had a new team member start and, and they got spoken to quite badly by a client and we sent the client an exit letter. And the team member went, oh my God, you're, you're firing that client because of the way they spoke to me? Like as if as if, you know, they weren't more important than the money the client was paying our business. And we had to explain to her, well, yeah, like that went against our culture and, and the values of what our firm stands for, for you to be spoken to like that. And you didn't deserve that. So we've kindly, you know, really nicely just exit letter to the client. Hey, it's not working. We're not meant to work together anymore. Thank you for everything, but see you later. And that, that team member, the, the buy-in that we got from that team member going, I'm more important than money, like the clients paying money to this firm. So yeah, that, and then I remember kind of going back and just kind of sitting there going, wouldn't everyone else do that? Like, is that, is that unusual? But yeah. No, wait, wait, that's something very special. And that's something that uh, we've actually, we, we do at Cub and that's exactly what it does. It shows, it, it creates loyalty mm. between your team member because I mean, I view the team at Cub like they're myself. If someone spoke to me like that, I'd probably fly kick them in the face. <laughs> but, 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 but if someone someone speaks to the team like that, I treat this as, as if they just spoke to me like yeah. that. And and it's um, personal. It is, mm. and I think that's important because they need to know that they are with you. Yeah. They're you. They're, we're, we're we're one. We're part of this one company, and 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 this company is all of us combined. Therefore, we're all each other. You know, yeah. we have to look out for each other. We have to defend each other. We have to be there to support each other. Bad things in life happens, and we we help each other and we carry weight for each other when needed. That that's that that's that's mm. that's that's what you were showing, and 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 that's um that's crucial. And also, 
you give people a voice. You know what mm. you're saying? They've got the ability to come to you about anything. Yep. And having a voice further cements that ownership where your team feels, okay, well, wait a second, I actually have a voice mm. at this company. I can be listened to. I can change things. I can, be, I, I can, I can build something. Yep. That, that's, that voice mm. is essential. Yeah, if uh, honesty. Create, yeah, well, honesty and yeah. creating a place that that you feel okay with being open and honest and sharing things like that. Whether it's you know a, a client getting angry or upset, which is very rare. But then even like if somebody makes a mistake, like there's some cultures where making a mistake, you get your ass handed to you. You're in big trouble, you know. Whereas I want I want a culture where somebody makes a mistake, they just own it. They come and go, hey, look, this happened because I did this wrong. Can we, how do I fix it? What do we do? And it's teamwork and collaboration to go, Hey, we can fix any problem that happens. If something doesn't get lodged on time or there's a mistake or, you know, the wrong advice was given, we're human. And the best part is owning it and putting your hand up and saying, Hey, this mistake happened, but here's the solution and we're going to fix it together. But if you don't have that and your team feel like they can't come to you when they've made a mistake or, or something's gone wrong, they're going to try and bury it. They're, they're not going to come and be open and, and show you what's happened. And yeah, uh, I agree. I, I think that the teams need to know, and, and I guess we're discussing cultures within high performing teams. Um, and I would like to, uh, 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 I'd include Cub in that category, mm. the, the team we have anyway. Um, but when people understand that for every issue or every problem or every bad thing, there is the opportunity for a positive is mm. an opportunity for an equal up thing. And um, that's, I believe that's essential. And, and that's how uh, we speak to, that's how we communicate mistakes or problem or, or things people do wrong to the team. We say, uh, when you do something wrong, just bring it up. Let's discuss it. And when people do something wrong and they speak to you and they tell you, they get an emotion. Mm. And so they remember yeah. what ha went wrong, what happened, and they don't make the mistake again right. because they've learned. It's an learned. opportunity to learn. Exactly. Yeah. That's, and, that's exactly and what it is. And you need to give them that, the ability to discuss that mistake and to, you know, to feel embarrassed or to feel um, disappointed, probably a better word, sorry, than embarrassed, you know, for themselves. Because it's mm. important they feel because when they feel, they remember. And when mm. they remember, they're now a better person. They're, you, they're a stronger person. Remember one of your biggest mistakes? Oh, yes, I could, I could probably bring up, I could probably bring up three big mistakes yep. that wow. I've made at Cup. The, the big, the biggest ones. Do you, do you want me to say them? Oh yeah, at least one. Then I can share my biggest one because it's quite yeah, embarrassing. I could probably bring up three. <laughs> well, my, my first, uh, but see, at the same time, I don't believe, I, I really do believe everything happens for a reason. And if yes. I didn't do it the way I did it, then I wouldn't get where I was I now. So I it is hard to, to, to call these mistakes because I actually don't view they're, them as that. I view learnings. Them, yeah, I view them as as decisions that got me to where I am. But the first one was um, that we didn't have. Uh, sorry, the second one. I'll start at the second. I won't. I won't do the first. The second. <laughs> the second one was expanding too quickly. Mm. That was really really hard. That was hard on me. It was hard on the team. We had to split uh, great members of the team, make two teams. I moved to Melbourne. I, I didn't want to live in Melbourne. Like I, I wasn't uh, – I wanted to be my, with my family and, and things like that. But, but you know, when you're business owner, you just do what you have to do. I moved to Melbourne um, and it took a long time with no existing network in Melbourne. It took a long time to build the amazing team that mm. we have now. Um, so gr growing – and I grew not because I needed to. 
in fact, it was bad for me to grow because I made less money when I tried mm. to grow. Um, and the team was less happy. I grew because people were saying they, members were saying they wanted, oh, you know, having a place in Melbourne would be amazing. Mm. And sometimes it's not about what people want as a value add. Yeah. You know, it's, you're already helping them do what you're supposed to, which is help them build relationships with other business owners. Having another club is a value add. They're not going to be there every day. They're not going to be using it all the time. They're not going to leave if it's not there. And so, so I, I almost, I didn't back, I didn't do what was best for the business. I did what I thought people wanted me to do. Mm. Um, and that was a, that was a big mistake. The first mistake was hiring people when you don't have a very clear job role, understanding mm -hmm. a team structure and, and Time. yeah, because then you have to fire people who are good people, but mm -hmm. you fucked up, you screwed, yep. you screwed them over because you didn't know what you were doing. And uh, I always feel bad about that. But at the same time, when you're innovating, starting a new company, you don't know what the job structure is. So you have to guess like, so it, you're not doing it on, you know, it's just, that's part of the evolution side of the business. And that's a risk people take when joining uh, new innovative businesses, yep. mind you, the ones who do join and, 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 and they're normally the great ones because they find something yep. amazing. They find a way to bring value they and contribute. Yeah, they show you their value and how yeah. you can't live they without They end up them. having the best lives. They end up having a great life and a great career. And mm. so th there's a risk to it. And so that was the first. The second was the uh, expansion. And the third I'd say is probably um, being emotional. And that's mm. probably controversial i'm an emotional person so like when i feel something the whole world knows i'm feeling mm -hmm. it like it's it's a big it's a big feeling um but i just don't think there's room for that or when there is it's 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 like boxing mm. you know you, you've got to stay calm-minded you're, you're you're just thinking you're not you're not getting angry you're not feeling emotional but when it's the time to strike when you want to knock when you want to knock them out and you want to you know yeah. or there's that moment you can let that out but but I, I think business is like that, and I think the so more breathing, breathing, yeah, you know, controlling. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, you need to learn to almost be stoic. Is that the word? Not stoic. Stoic. Yeah, it's it, to to just be. Nothing phases you, and and you just mm. are there to support people and mentor people. Yeah. And I think that um, what 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 creates that? If I was to compare, like for example, myself now to to starting. What creates that is just proof in the pudding. You know, you've just done, you've overcome so many issues yep. and you've been through so much to get where you are that you, nothing's, you build a, a resilience and a confidence in mm -hmm. yourself that you're like, well, it literally does not matter what happens now. We're going to solve it and we're going to be better for it. And, and so, but again, that's time. So these might not be mistakes. There might be lessons. I definitely think how you react to mistakes or how you, like your learnings in the early days, they build you up for who you are today. But I also think how I would have reacted five or six years ago to how I react today come a long way. Very different. Like, you know, you mature. We have maturity. Yeah, definitely. And maturity as a business owner or, or an entrepreneur. And, you know, I did a Hondo's leadership course. And, you know, there was a big part of that was about, you know, leaders don't get to have good or bad days. Leaders have to be consistent. And, you know, something can go wrong. But if the leader reacts and gets shitty and, you know, cracks it, yeah. what is that showing to the rest of the team? Oh, the and whole the, team you know, reacts. So it's around, yeah, how, how you know, you can control yourself and take a deep breath and, you know, just, just control the situation and control the narrative and not be that emotional, reactive person. But it's easier said than done. Yeah, but like, I go as far as to say if the leader gets sick – Everybody gets sick. Yeah. I've, I've seen it so many times. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have 
sick. You don't have I won't mention down. That. You don't Christmas have party. Sixteen yeah. out of twenty people got COVID. So, and I don't want to say that I brought COVID back from the UK, but there's a chance that it could have been me uh, the day after I got back. But not not admitting that. I haven't told anyone that. I hope nobody listens. So, uh, say, well, there's gonna be a lot of people listening. So I'm sorry. To say no, that's my team. Just yeah. my team. I'll, I'll keep this one. But hidden. um, but yeah, don't share it with them, perhaps. But but. It's just crucial that 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 stability is. Cru- People look for stability in life, and they look for inspiration, and and they look for a vehicle that can help them create a better life for themselves. Yep. And and the business uh, is supposed to do that, but it's your job as your business. You, you were doing that. You know, the business is just a like a, it's like a metaphor, like a something. It's something that shoots. It's from your. It's like a projection from your brain onto the wall. You know, and and so it's your responsibility. Yeah. But sorry, what's your biggest mistake you've ever made? Um, in no, mine, mine was a real granular example of like when somebody in a team makes a mistake and how you then need to feel comfortable owning it. Um, my and the the point I was trying to make of you can pinpoint because of the emotions and the attachment to it how easy it is to pinpoint a mistake that stuck with you. And mine, and I share it now because I can laugh about it, and it's you know often does the rounds at. at at my firm and when I tell stories, when I'm speaking and whatnot, but, um, the very first accounting firm I worked at, the one that I didn't want to be an accountant worked with Greg, my now business partner and the boss of our office went away. And so Greg and the boss had this partitioned wall in between their office. And Greg was like, come in, come and work in Glenn's chair and we'll fold the wall back and we can just talk shit with each other, you know, across the office. I'm like, cool, man, that'd be sick. So I was using the boss's computer. And because it was desktops and, you know, logins and whatever, like it was, it was back in the day. So I've logged into the boss's computer, I'm working away and a job came through to cancel an ABN for a client. So I'm like, cool, I've got this all good. So I log in, I'm talking shit with Greg across the room, tapper, tapper, boom, 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 cancel ABN, tap, tap, enter, done. I'm like, man, I've nailed this, raise the invoice, send to the client, done, ABN's canceled. A couple of hours later, the phone rings from the other office and the guy's like, it's Matt, Matt, the boss of the other office, you know, pretty big operation, peak of tax time. we got clients in the waiting room coming in to get their tax done. And he calls up and he's speaking to Greg, who would have been the most senior at the office at the time, going, did someone cancel the accounting firm's ABN? Like we, we can't access the ATO. We can't access the portal. We can't lodge anything. Our entire operation is shut down. And I could see Greg just eyeball, look me across the room. And he's just like, oh, yeah, um, I'll look into that for you. I'll, I'll call you back. And I, my heart sunk. I felt sick to my core. I just lost thousands of dollars worth of revenue for that day of people sitting in the waiting room waiting to get their taxes done. I'd shut the whole firm down, uh, you know, deleting an ABN and losing your tax agent license and, you know, your, your connection to the ATO. And, and it was a nightmare. And I finished up work that day and I was still working part-time at the surf shop and I was driving to the surf shop and one of the other bosses called me and he, and again, learning about how a, the leader handles a situation like that. If that was me at the time, and I thought if I'd just deleted the, my own ABN to my business with 30 staff and thousands of clients waiting to get service, I'd be fucking pissed. Like I'd be so angry and upset. And instead this guy called and just went, Jace, are you okay? How are you going? Like, I understand you're probably feeling a bit, bit down. And I was like, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm in tears. I'd cry. I'd started crying as I left going. I actually really liked my job and thought there's no way they'll keep me. Like if I can make a mistake that stupid, I'm done. And I was like, mate, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like I, I feel sick to my core. He's like, mate, he goes, it's all good. Like mistakes happen. 
you know, we've, we've got onto it. We're going to get it fixed. The ATO should be able to correct it within 24 to 48 hours. Yep. It's a big one. And then he started laughing and I'm like, are you laughing? He's like, mate, I've, I've never heard a story before where someone's deleted their own ABN of their accounting firm. He's like, this, this will go down. This will be a story that we tell everyone for years and we'll get real good like lols out of it. I'm like, ah, oh. so I'm, I'm not fired. He goes, not yet. Like you just, you know, see how many more mistakes you make before we have to go to that drastic of a, of a reaction. And oh, what man, a champion. Yeah. And, and it just kind of calmed me and soothed me to go, you know what? I can go back in there tomorrow and be around the team and own the mistake, have a laugh with them and also learn from that. I've never once kind of tapped my way through a form without paying attention. If anything, I've now removed myself from filling out all forms altogether, <laughs> uh, you know, which is why it probably took me a while to get the Cub podcast form back because I'm like, oh, is there something I can make a mistake on this form? I've got like form anxiety. So. How do I, how, is it possible for me to delete Daniel's podcast? Well, yeah, well, uh, the first time I filled out the form, in all honesty, you know how there's a save button down the bottom? <laughs> I thought I saved it. I'd put so much effort into it and then I went to reload it and I'm like – where's the link to my saved form? And it was gone. And I think that's what took me a bit longer. I was like, ah, oh. so yeah, I've, I've removed myself from the need to do forms pretty much altogether. Um, which, you know, it was a valuable business lesson learned is that I'm not the form guy. I shouldn't be filling things out. So I, I would assume you probably have an EA or someone to help you now. Yeah. So Beck, Beck, who's a PAEA, um, she works really closely with me and then the superstar admin team or client service coordinators and practice managers, like we've got, I'm very well surrounded by an ins and beyond them, all the accountants and advisors. Like I feel like I have a gun team that supports me to be able to do what I do. And whether that's podcast speaking, zero partner advisory, CPA committee, a lot of then now what drives me beyond having a great firm and a great team and looking after our clients is I also want the industry to benefit from my lessons and my learnings and everything I'm going through. So if I can be involved in the CPA or be involved with zero and impact other accounting firms to have better firms, the flow on effect is huge. I, I don't see other accounting firms as the competition. You know, I've got to be able to collaborate with them and uplift them so that their clients are doing better. So it's, yeah, it's a bit of a, you know, not the normal mindset of most accounting firm owners, but there's still a lot of good owners out there that think and feel the same as me. Like Silvio, him and I get along with a house on Silvio fire. from Cub? Yeah, Silvio yeah. from Cub. Yeah. He's, there's he a lot of someone, great Cub members. Well, he was someone I looked up to as a, when I was in my mid twenties. Really? Like, you know, yeah, because he, Highview was like a direct competitor of Insight and they almost like saw each other as like, yeah, just epic battling competitors for the local market. And whereas, you know, then when I started a firm, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't see it. Want to be like friends? That. Like, yeah, let's all be friends. Like, there's so much work out there. And yeah, so Silvio, I remember telling him that during the leadership course, just going like, Silvio, I've, I've always looked up at you and respected what you've done in the industry. Like, he's got a massive team and an awesome brand and, and done really cool things. But then to hear him kind of talk about, you know, his, you know, what he thinks of himself as a leader and how he thinks, you know, the way his firms come about, you know, it's almost like he also doesn't believe how important he's been to that journey. Like it's just happened around him and it's like, nah, dude, like you're awesome. You've worked hard and you've built an epic team and that's because of you, like, and obviously the people around you, but yeah, it's. Yeah. The, actually just so the listeners, listeners know what you're talking about when you're referring to the leadership program, mm. it Cub did, it Cub does uh, a leadership program in conjunction with uh, Boston Global, Harvard uh, Managementor and uh, Honduras Consulting. And and, and uh, Jason was uh, one of the members in Melbourne that just recently went through the program. But j just a great team. A great team solves 
every problem. Really, a great team is the most, in my opinion, most fundamental um, um, role mm. of a business or an owner is is to put together a great team. I was like, we're testing Boa at the moment and, and um, we just got 50 members on there just testing for bugs and whatnot. Yep. And it's just the MVP version. There's not even much on it. But but I posted a poll that was like, um, what's the greatest issue that you have mm. uh, in business? And, and a team, like building a great team yep. was one of them. But I was actually surprised. So, it, I mean, it was still the highest voted. It was building a great team was still the highest, like, most people, I can't remember what it was, but most people agreed that that is the hardest thing. But the the second to that was sales uh, and revenue. Wow. And I, and a few people messaged me on the app saying, oh, sorry, commented on the post as well saying, mine is sales and revenue because of this, we already have a good team. Yep. But I, re- well, I replied, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I replied, I disagree because if you had a great team, you'd be making a lot of sales. Yep. You know, when you've got a great sales, th- Cubs sales team, for example, mm. they're actually known for being too great. This, this is where yeah. industry-wise that's really specific though. So accounting accounting firms don't put a sales team in. Gener- so how do you get clients? Well, generally they rely on the business owner. And, and this is where like, you've literally just triggered something in my brain. Jack Daly at that Bali accounting conference just drilled everyone in the room and says, what the fuck makes you think you're the best salesperson to be the only salesperson in your account person in your accounting firm? Or that that's the most important thing you should be focusing Correct. on. Correct. Because not everyone's cut out to be the head sales guy or the head sales girl. Especially if you're an accountant. You know, exactly. So and then that that's what I sat there going, well, that is actually my one of my greatest strengths is I can talk to people, find out their problems, guide them on a journey, sell them a package, because I've got to sell them into a into a journey. And then hand them into a gun accounting team who can get the job done. But then thinking about all the other accounting firms out there that don't have a Jason on the front line, and let's say that they've become an accountant, they've decided to go out on their own, but they don't necessarily enjoy selling or upselling or talking to people in that way. They just want to be doing good accounting work. How do they grow their firms? And the logical thing is to put a salesperson in place that can jump on the phone or build a website and lead gen and do all those things. But that is not natural for the accounting industry to have those things. How interesting is that? Yeah. That would be the first I'd have I'd have the sales team before I even had the accountants. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and and our our challenge now in an industry where look, historically accountants were really sticky. Not a lot of work moved hands and went from one firm to another because once you've got a good accountant, and even if they're not like you think they're a good accountant, but then you hear about the other guy or girl who might be doing something different, you go, "Oh, but they've got all my info. They know me. They've been doing my stuff for years." Historically, clients didn't move. It's scary to move because they yeah, know well, they yes. they know what you look like naked. You Correct. know, they they know everything, they, oh, and when they, you leave someone, they knows everything. Look, oh. And. A lot of the time your accountant actually is almost like a counselor and you've shared with them things, you know, like I often knew about a marriage breakdown for a lot of my clients in the early days before the marriage actually broke down. Or if I I would see the transaction for IVF or something before the client even mentioned it. So there's things that you see and hear and feel as an accountant where you're like, shit, I don't feel qualified to be the psychologist to this business owner, but often we're the sounding board or they share things with us because they need, they need someone to bounce things off. Mm. So advisories are an interesting space. You've got to be careful. I've done the, um, it's called counting on you. It's a mental health first aid course. And I did that because we had a client that drove himself into a tree and tried to kill himself. Oh my God. And 
didn't see the warning signs, didn't pick up on it. Guy was kind of really lovely to talk to on the phone, but he had some, you know, business was hard, there's some financial stuff, but never saw it coming to that. But then I thought, well, what if I'd seen the signs? What if I'd asked earlier, are you okay? So yeah, things, it's, there's a lot of pressure on that. And look, I've taken a segue into a different area there, but yeah, it's, um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it all ties into, into, I mean, it all ties into learning from loss, mm. you know, and, um, I mean, I know you've experienced uh, some great loss in life and, and I mean, uh, everyone does, but business owners have a lot of pressure on them. They, they have an added pressure that the rest of society does not carry. Mm-hmm. And that is the responsibility of others and also the social pressure of, you know, if you, if you leave a job or get fired, oh, I quit. I didn't like it. Yep. If you're, no one shuts their business because, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't like it. It's never that mm. it's, it's the business didn't work. And yep. then people, oh, you failed, yep. you know, like to failure. Yeah. It's it. business owners have, have a heavy burden. And I think that that, I mean, the sad situation with your client that that's a it, that's a direct demonstration mm. of of the stresses that the difficulty yep. of running a business and the stresses that that um that that business owners mm. can S- go through, especially going it alone too. Like the the ones that I probably see that that I would kind of put the red flag or the asterisks against and go, oh, there's a risk there, are usually the solo operators that have taken on a lot of debt and a lot of stress and hired employees without a real good game plan but they don't have a business partner or an advisor that they feel comfortable talking to. And they're the ones that usually are the most at risk. Um, you know, the importance of having a mentor or an advisory board, you know, an accountant or an advisor you're comfortable talking to, all of those things are so crucial to the success of a small business. And yeah, as I said, the ones that fail are the ones that, you know, are, are most at risk. They're trying to go it alone. And again, that's why, like, I feel passionate about what I do in the industry of trying to promote good accountants and good advisors and get people the help they need. And even the numbers game podcast, something to listen to, to go shit. Like if those guys can make those mistakes and, and cause we share a lot of, uh, we call it losing it as a segment in the earlier episodes. We don't do it at the moment, but it was all about sharing a loss, like something we stuffed up and we made a loss and, and, you know, we screwed it and the business turned to shit or we lost money. So we're sharing that we're human and that we make mistakes too and that it's okay to make mistakes, but you've got to own it and learn from them. So, you know, those, and that podcast I said was there for the people who do feel like they don't have the ability to afford advice or to, to get help, they can start there and then at least start to get comfortable. And I, I think it's fantastic. It's just so aligned with you and your brand and in, in your business. We do have to wrap up. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of things. One was, I guess, what would, you mentioned that you remembered the biggest mistake you've ever made. Mm-hmm. Business mistake. What, yeah. What's a, a different one. what's a huge lesson in life and uh, business yeah. um, that you could share? The, the biggest one that I've shared, um, on, I think on our podcast and others when I've done this interview and it's a meaningful one and hard to get out without losing it a little bit. So I'll try and get this across, but I'd always felt like there was more time with family and friends. And this comes back to my mum passed away, um, less than two years ago. She was 60. And in starting and building a business, you know, the sacrifices of working long hours and trying to build a business for me was so I could spend more time with my mum or with my family later on. And I always felt there was more time. So, you know, the opportunity to, hey, you know, mum would call, Jace, come for dinner. Sorry, mum, I'm not going to come for dinner. I've got to get this job done. 
And I sacrificed that time with my mum because I thought there was more time. And not fortunately, but the, a message that I picked up, uh, I went to a funeral of one of our team members. Her mum had passed away in her early 60s. And it hit me and went, shit, actually, like time's real fragile and real precious. And it's time I may not get back. And in the, her funeral speech, she said, you think you've got more time and then they're gone. And I, I was triggered. I burst into tears. Like I knew mum was about to go have some surgery. Um, she was just getting a back fusion. Like it was nothing major. And I ran out the door, called mum, said, hey, let's, let's get dinner this week. And fortunately, that was the last time I had dinner with my mum. I say fortunately, as in I got the opportunity to have dinner with my mum and my dad. Uh, Case picked them up, drove them to dinner with us. We had a few drinks and we paid for their Uber home so that they could stay and have a good time with us. And mum had surgery the following, that was like the Friday or the Wednesday. Mum had surgery the following Monday and then passed away soon after her heart failed after the surgery, which was an unexpected thing to happen. And, you know, it was, nobody obviously saw it coming and, for me, that that mindset of going, I can do that later or, you know, I can sacrifice time now because there'll be time later, I never get that back. And that's something I have to live with and it hurts. Like there's moments of like deep pain where I go, I'd give anything to see my mum and I can't. It's – I'm so sorry to hear that but – I, I mean I really think that what you're saying too is is that – you, you're not doing your business and what you're doing. You're not doing mm. this for yourself. You're doing it for people you love. Mm. And and you can't forget that while you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, mum was so proud of the business that I, I was building and Greg and the team and everything else around us, she was our biggest raving fan. And I think, you know, to know that she was backing us in the whole way going, oh, I've got your back boys you, you know, boys and girls, everyone in our team. Like, you know, she, she was a raving fan. Like, and she was a big part of who I am and where I got to, you know, and it's just that, that bit, you know, people suffer loss and it's then what you do with that loss. And, you know, for, for the month or two after mum passed, I went down a very bad place. So I, I disconnected from business. I drank, I went into this, you know, self-pity of, oh. my mom. yeah, I, you know, and then on the other side of that, there was, there was, I had to dig myself out and ended up doing, you know, alcohol free for 150 days and ran a marathon, which was like just to completely flip it on its head and go, you know, mum wouldn't want me to be this, you know, sad sack of shit bawling my eyes out. Like I've got a chance to keep living and that's what I wanted to do. So now a lot of, a lot of the vibe and energy and what I put into life is, living a full life and then spreading that message too to my clients, to my team. You know, I think that's coming from a place of learning from that mistake of not spending quality time with my family when I should have or could have. Now it's how do I share that message with my clients too when I see them burning themselves out, you know, working too hard and not getting time with their young children. You know, so a lot of the message now isn't about how do I help you make more money? It's also how do I give you back time? so that you can spend that in a valuable way. You are an amazing human being and that is without a doubt testament to how incredible your mum your you, is. Uh, but we do have to wrap up. Um, to our uh, amazing listeners, if you'd like to get in touch with Jason uh, or read his favourite book recommendations and other cool information, you, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find it all there. Um as I mentioned in the episode, I've known Jason for six years, one of the first Cub mem members in Melbourne ever, um, and just an absolutely fantastic human being. 
You could probably already tell that though. Um, if you'd like to catch up with uh, Cub on social media, it's at Club United Business is our Instagram. It's also awesome. Check it out. Jason, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, mate. Hope to see you. You too. Hope you enjoy the show.